Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. While you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of a backstory. The nation of Israel has judges that are placed over them. They don't have kings as of yet. So these judges are people who've been raised up by God to kind of protect and oversee and care for the people of Israel. And one of these men was named Samson. He was born to a woman who was told by God that he was to be a Nazarite. That means that he wasn't supposed to eat of the vine or to drink any wine. He wasn't supposed to ever cut his hair or a razor wasn't supposed to come to his head. He wasn't supposed to come into contact with dead animals or dead people. This man was a very powerful man. The scripture actually says that he came across a lion one day and tore the lion into bits as the lion tried to attack him with his bare hands. The scripture says that when he was opposed by some Philistines, the Philistine armies, that he slayed a thousand men with just the jawbone of a donkey. Think about that just for a second. And then he heaped their bodies into a pile. He slayed them with a thousand, okay? And so here's a man who's very powerful, been called by God to stand over and to protect the people of Israel, but he allowed the seductiveness of sin to draw him away from God's presence, and it led to his destruction. Here's a man who thinks that he's above and beyond all else. There's pride in his life, and there's no man that is more powerful than him. And so he thinks that there's no one and nothing that can touch him. And so a woman by the name of Delilah catches his attention, and he falls madly and deeply in love with this woman. And this woman is approached by the Philistines, And the Philistines offer her 11,000 pieces of silver in order to discover what Samson's source of strength is. And so this woman, Delilah, says the first time to Samson, Samson, if you really love me, you would tell me your secrets. What is the key to your strength? First time he says, well, the way that my strength can be taken is if someone were to tie me with seven bowstrings that have never been used. And so she ties him up with these bowstrings and then calls for the Philistines. And Samson gets up and breaks the bowstrings and chases off the Philistines. And she's upset. How can you say you love me and lie to me? What's the source of your strength? Well, if you were to bind me with new ropes that have never been used, then there's no way I could break those ropes. And so she ties him up and calls for the Philistines. And Samson gets up and he breaks the ropes And the Philistines flee once more. I can't believe you lied to me, Delilah says. You think by now Samson would catch on to what's going on here, right? I can't believe you lied to me. If you really loved me, you would tell me the source of your strength. Well, if you weave my hair, which is the source of my strength, if you weave my hair into a weaver's beam, and then the people come to try to attack me, there's no way I could defeat them. And so she weaves his hair into a weaver's beam, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. The Philistines come in, he breaks it loose, he chases them off, and she says the same thing yet again. If you really love me, you would tell me how you get your strength. And then he does something he never should have done. He says, my hair has never been shaven. 
And if my head were to be shaven because of the vow I made before the Lord to remain a Nazarite, to not drink of the vine, to not have my head, then my strength will be taken if my head is shaved. And so he falls asleep and she shaves his head and she calls for the Philistines. And the Philistines come and look at what happens here. This is the result. Judges chapter 16, verse 20. She said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and he said, I will go out as the other times and shake myself free. Listen to how sad this is. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. The Spirit of God had been upon him for all of these years. But because he was flirting with sin, and he finally crossed the line, he finally went too far, no longer was the Spirit of God upon him. The Spirit of God had left him, verse 21, and the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza, bound him with bronze shackles, and he ground at the mill in the prison. You hear that? The results of the sin. And this is what I want you to see. Samson believed that he was exempt. Samson believed that he was immune. There's no possible way that my life can be destroyed by sin. And what did he do? He flirted with that line over and over and over again. It was like a game for him. How close can I get to the sin without going too far? How far can I push the envelope? How much can I flirt? How much can I take? How much can I lie? Where is the line? And so he comes right up to that line and he flirts with that line until finally he jumps across the line and God's presence is taken from him. And sin destroys his life. Sin is destructive. We see there that the first thing that happens as a result of his sin is that he's blinded. They gouge out his eyes. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. That that's one of the things the enemy wants to do is to blind you from truth. Don't let him do it. Secondly, it says there that they bound him with shackles. They gouged out his eyes. They bound him with shackles. Sin will bind you. It will trap you. Jesus said, whoever practices sin is a slave to sin. The book of Romans says that we should no longer be enslaved to our sin. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. The enemy wants to capture you and force you to do his will force you into sin. Don't fall for that. He was blinded. He was bound. And the third thing we see there is that he was forced to grind at the mill. He was made a slave. Sin will grind you to bits. In the book of Joshua, there's a story of a man named Achan. And the children of Israel have just experienced this amazing victory as they have overcome this incredible fortress of a city called Jericho. And as they marched around Jericho seven times on the seventh day and blasted their trumpets, the walls came tumbling down. They went through, they basically obliterated the city of Jericho. And God had told them, when this happens, when I deliver Jericho into your hands, don't take any of the precious metals for yourself. They belong to the Lord's treasury. 
But there was a man by the name of Achan who took a portion of what was supposed to be devoted to God. He took some of the gold and some of the silver and some of the beautiful garments of of clothing and he buried them under his tent. And so the next conquest that the children of Israel went out to is a conquest against a city called Ai. And they went to scout out the surroundings first and they figured, you know what, these people are so small We're only going to send 3,000 troops. It shouldn't be a problem at all. So they send 3,000 troops, and the city of Ai chases them back, and 36 of their men die. And Joshua is so grieved, and he goes before the Lord. Lord, why have we suffered defeat? Why have we come all this way only for the name of God to be disparaged and for the people of God to run from the presence of these people in Ai? Why have you allowed this? And God spoke to Joshua and said it's because there's sin that is in the camp. And I can't bless your work as long as you are allowing sin in your camp. Sin is destructive. All the nation of Israel suffered together because of one man's sin. Listen, what is the application for this? this is, it's twofold. First off, what I want you to see is that this church can suffer because of your sin. Because you bring your sin into the congregation. God wants a pure spotless bride. And if you're hiding in the corners in shame in a dirty diaper staring at your bleeding thumb. The rest of the body suffers because of that. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. You have to cleanse out that leaven. Jesus said you have to treat sin very, very seriously. If your right hand causes you to sin, you cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, you pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of heaven maimed than to go to hell with all of your parts in place. You take care of your sin. You get rid of your sin. You expel that sin. That's why from time to time we have to exercise church discipline here within our midst. We have to bring people Sometimes I've had to stand before the church and confess my own sin before as an example of what it means to be holy in the midst of the body. This is how serious our sin must be treated. But when you bring your sin into the body, we all suffer for it. But this is the second application I want you to see. Your sin is not just your sin. You're not the only one suffering for your sin in your family. That has consequences and ramifications in your family for generations to come your children will watch you struggling in that sin and they will learn that sin from you do you remember that say no to drugs commercial in the 80s where did you learn this stuff and he says from you dad all right i learned it by watching you right that's what our sin is like our children are watching and we have to make sure that we don't allow our sins to become their sins and in so doing destroy their lives as well the scripture says jesus said that the enemy comes to steal to kill and to what to destroy in the book of revelation he's called apollyon the name means destroyer that he wants more than anything to destroy you he's the destroyer of families he's the destroyer of relationships he's the destroyer of your witness and your testimony He wants to destroy your life using these three plays. Don't allow it to happen. Don't allow him to separate you from the pack. Don't allow him to cause you to hide in sin and in shame. So we see that sin is seductive. We see 
Next, that sin is destructive. And now I want you to see that sin is progressive. That if left unchecked, sin will continue to grow. For that, I want you to turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. And we're going to look at the story of three men here who struggled with sin and who faced little compromises along the way in their life and they ended up looking in the mirror and not understanding how they could possibly have become the men they became. The first off we're going to look at is the story of David. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. In the spring of that year, the time when the kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. It was customary for the kings to lead the people into battle. But by this time, David is more than 50 years old. He's been reigning as king for more than 20 years. And so when the springtime comes, he sends his general Joab to do his job. And he stays behind in the city of Jerusalem. He just waits behind. He lets them go off to fight his battle. But David relaxes in Jerusalem. He gets complacent. He gets lazy. He gets comfortable. And he figures, you know what? I've done this for over 20 years. It's time for someone else to do this work. Let me encourage you with this this morning. Some of you in this room maybe feel like you're, you're getting towards the twilight of your life, the retirement years, those years where now you're supposed to be able to just sit back and relax and coast. Let me tell you this. The work of the Lord is never finished. You can retire from your job. You can have a plush savings account. You can go on vacations, but you cannot stop the work of the Lord. David grew complacent. He grew lazy. He let other people do God's work. And because of it, sin was crouching at his door and he fell into sin. Look at what happens here. Verse 2. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. So because he's left there, he's, he's restless. And so he goes up to his rooftop and he looks down and he sees a woman bathing. He shouldn't have been there in the first place. He never should have been on the rooftop. He should have been on the battlefield doing the work of the Lord. But there he was in the afternoon watching from his roof and he sees this woman bathing. And he begins to covet her, another man's wife. He lusts after her. Look at this, verse 3. And David sent and he inquired about the woman. And one said, is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, so David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Do you see how sin progressed? One compromise led to another and led to another. This is what I want you to see here is that whenever you come across sin, there are sins of commission and there are sins of omission. Commission are sins that you commit. Omission are sinful when you don't do things you know you should be doing. How did Brian end up in that place? He stopped going to church. He stopped surrounding himself with fellowship. He stopped enjoying the things of the Lord. And then he started having a cigarette every now and then. And then he started going to the bar with friends after work every now and again. And then... 
you know what, it's not that far from the bar to the meth. And so then he started using meth again. And before he knows it, he's lost his job and he's staring down the barrel of a rifle because he's hopeless and ashamed. Sin is progressive. The enemy baits you with just a little bit saying, you know what, you can handle just a little bit. It's not that big a deal to look and to lust. You're not hurting anyone. It's not that big of a deal for you just to take just a little bit more than you're supposed to. No one will know. You deserve it anyway. And before you know it, you've become someone that you never thought you would become, just like David. David's sin grew to the point to where in order to try to cover his sin, if you finish reading 2 Samuel, you'll see that he tries to cover his sin by bringing Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, back from the battlefield so that he will lay with his wife with his own wife, so that the baby appears to be his own. Uriah refuses, and so David sends Uriah back to the battlefront, to the very front lines, and has him killed. So now David is a murderer. It began by being complacent. It began by being lazy. It began by becoming too comfortable. He stopped doing what he should have been doing. He stopped engaging in God's word. He stopped going to community groups. He stopped going to Bible studies. He stopped coming to Wednesday night services. He stopped his prayer life. He stopped his worship life. And it became all about him. And now he's on the roof and he's lusting. And that lust doesn't end. He takes a woman who is not his own. She becomes pregnant. And in order to cover up, he commits murder. And it all began because he stopped doing God's work. Sin is progressive. It snowballs. And that's what's waiting for you if you're flirting with sin today. It doesn't lead to any place you want to be. There's another story in the scripture, and the man's name is Lot, and he's Abraham's nephew. And at one point in time, Lot's properties and his wealth grew to the point to where Abraham and Lot couldn't dwell in the same land. And so Abraham says to Lot, you choose a direction and I'll choose a direction and we'll split up so that the land can support our wealth. And so Lot sees off in the distance a beautiful fertile valley. And so he chooses to go that direction. And the scripture says he goes as far as Sodom and he pitches his tent outside of the wicked city called Sodom. Now the next time we see Lot is when God is going to send judgment on this city of Sodom for all of their wickedness. And when the angels of the Lord come to the city of Sodom, they find Lot no longer dwelling in a tent outside the city. They find Lot dwelling at the gate of the city. He's a part of the leadership of the city. The the gate is where the judges sat. That's where they decided cases and ruled over the people. So now Lot has become a part of this sinful nation, this sinful people. It doesn't get any better because the angels warn Lot, destruction is coming, destruction is coming. And it says in the scripture that Lot lingers, not wanting to leave Sodom. Finally, the angels of the Lord grab his daughters and his wife and drag them out of the city so that Lot has to follow. And fire and brimstone rain down on Sodom and Gomorrah and he loses everything. But his story doesn't end there. It gets worse. He ends up hiding in some hills, living with just his daughters, and his daughters are so desperate to have children of their own, they get him drunk, and he commits incest with each one of his daughters. Do you see the progressive nature of sin? It starts by dwelling a little too close to that sinful 
nation, that sinful city. Then all of a sudden, he's living and participating in that sinfulness. So much so that he doesn't want to leave that sinfulness. And then he loses everything and ends up committing incest. Now, did he set out in the beginning to commit incest with his daughters? Absolutely not. He never would have dreamed of doing that. But it's all the little compromises along the way and the snowballing effect of sin, the progressive nature of sin that led him to that place. You want another example? How about the example of the Apostle Peter? After Jesus is captured at the Garden of Gethsemane, the scripture says that he follows from a distance. He's watching from a distance, trying to be undercover, not wanting to risk his own life, so he follows at a distance. And then the next thing you see, he's warming himself at the fires of the enemy with the Romans. And a little girl says, aren't you one of the Galileans? Aren't you with the Nazarene? Aren't you with Jesus? And he curses at her and denies Jesus. Now, did he set out in the beginning to deny Jesus? No, but it's little compromises, following at a distance, not wanting people to know that you're with Jesus. Then surrounding yourself with co-workers at the bar after work, warming yourself by their fire until eventually you deny Jesus completely with your lips. Did Peter set out to deny him? No, but it's the progressive nature of sin. And here's the thing, you're sitting there today thinking, you know what, I would never commit adultery, but you're flirting at work. And it's just a couple more steps until you become someone you never thought you would become And you think, you know what, I would never be a thief. I would never steal, but you're filling up your gas with a company card or you're checking an extra box on your taxes and you're cheating. And it's just a couple more steps until you become someone you never thought you would become. You might think, I would never commit murder. But you drink one too many and you get behind the wheel and it's just one accident away from you murdering someone. It's the progressive nature of sin. The enemy wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy. You can't flirt with that line. You will cross it every time. It leads to some place you do not want to be. How do you address this? How can you combat this? What what has God given you in order to keep you from falling into these things? It's something called your conscience. And you have to guard and protect your conscience at all costs. Because in 1 Timothy, it says this. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. Listen to this. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. That your conscience can become seared. Your conscience is that little voice in your head that God puts there saying, nope, that's not right. Nope, don't do that. Nope, don't follow that path. But you flirt with that line enough times. You play footsies with the devil enough times, eventually it's going to bite you. It's like playing Russian roulette. You put one bullet in the chamber, you flip it around, and eventually the bullet comes up. You cannot play with sin. You have to listen to that conscience. If you ignore that conscience, eventually the little sins become bigger and bigger and bigger, and you feel no conviction at all. Jesus actually said this, you have to guard your heart. You have to guard your heart. Why? It's not just the actions that God is worried about. He's not just worried about whether or not you commit adultery. He's worried about whether you're lusting in your heart. God isn't just worried about whether or not you commit murder. He's worried about whether or not you're speaking badly about your brother or sister behind their back. 
Because it's about the matter, the condition of the heart. That's what matters to God. The scripture says that your heart can become hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You have to protect your heart and guard your heart from allowing that to happen. If you don't guard your heart, this is the eventual outcome. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.